I haven't actually described what light pollution is yet, and some of you are probably thinking air pollution. Light pollution is the excessive, obtrusive, misdirected artificial light at night. And you could see the world map. So what do astronomers do? There's only dark spots in the middle of the ocean. You cannot put an observatory on a boat. We need rock steady for observatories. And so we go up into the mountains, into very far distant mountains, as far as you can go from any civilizations. You want high and you want dry also. So the Atacama Desert in Chile is one of the places where they're putting lots of telescopes now. And yet, even Chile doesn't understand. It's a country that should know that their sky is their national treasure. But there's 24-hour mining going in nearby. There's a roadway with brightly lit way stations going in. Even they don't seem to realize that this is a treasure. All over the world, you can see this sky glow. Sky glow is the glow above the city. Sometimes it's a yellowish or hazy orange color. Um, light pollution is increasing at a rate of 6% per year so far. Uh, did you hear the story about L.A. in 1994? Some of you were around then where there was a blackout after an earthquake and all the people started calling the police and the local radio stations. What is that ominous cloud hanging over our heads? Because they didn't recognize their own Milky Way galaxy. They'd never seen it before. And most children nowadays live in cities and will never see the Milky Way. Live from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete-encrusted banks of the North Branch of the Chicago River, it's the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program, heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Good planets hard to find, temperate zones and tropic climes, True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. He doesn't own the word green, he merely rents it for a small fee. Here he is, Mike Novak. Everybody stand by. I'm going to boost it this time. One more time. One more time. Welcome to this program on what has turned out to be a beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you, Rick DeMaio. Wait, he gets a beer ding. Um, and uh, he's going to be here later in the show and take credit. Wow, it's still playing. Oh. We're jamming this morning. Oh, we're, what, wait, okay, let's turn it. Wow, where's it coming from? <laughs> I turned it off. The fader was off all the way, and it was still there. He's in studio. Holy, sp- all right, we got a, there's a, where, where was that coming from? Okay. Uh, write the note to talk to the Q4 people. Here's the, the uh, usually we have the, the, the end of show uh, meeting. This will be item number one on the, on the meeting. Is where did the music come after I turned it off? All right. Oh, 
And why does the door keep – no, keep that door open. Are we locked in? Help! <laughs> keep that door open because we've got, we've got all the windows open. It, when I came in here, it was warm. And, I, and we're going to have a, a – bu- toasty, yes. We're going to have a bunch of people – in the second hour. Sitting next to me, Peggy Malecki from Natural Awakening Chicago. Do you want a beer ding or a regular ding? I'll go with a regular. It's too early for beer. Uh, <laughs> and um, George. Hey. Hey, George. He's sitting in the back because. Mikeless George. Mikeless George. I like that. That might be your new name. That might be your new <laughs> n- nickname, Mikeless George. Um, he's in the back because we got a couple of guests for the first hour. It's, um, as always, a jam-packed show. Too much, too much to be believed. This show is too good. You people listening, you don't know how good you're getting in, and, and you're and it's free. Come on, even the podcasts are free. You know, there's there's a lot. Of, I, when I do my podcasts, um, uh, they're always free and on demand. And I tell my sponsors that too. It's like, it's like I'm. You get your commercials in there too, so uh, go for it. Uh, tell your tell your friends to listen to the podcast, which you can find at mikenovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. Of course, we are on Q4 Radio, 1680 AM, nominally, but you're not going to get that signal. So listen to www.quenumeral4.org uh, or listen on iTunes or, and you might know this because you might be doing it right now, streaming live on Facebook which is very cool. And, uh, and the TuneIn app. And the TuneIn app. There we go. So And, yeah, and I, if you can't get it uh, on their regular uh, website, yeah, go to the TuneIn app. It comes in loud and clear. And, and you have figured out how to listen to this in the car, haven't yes. you, Peggy? Yep. With the TuneIn app running right through the uh, wireless speaker on my visor. It's, you know, it's not as hard as people th- make it out to be to listen on the Internet's. Uh, the inner tubes, as I like to call them. Can can we announce the exciting new place to find you now? What's the exciting new place to find Mike's me? Mike's on Instagram. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah, right. I forgot. I, yes, I was dragged kicking and screaming. Selfies all day. Selfie. You know, yeah, we're going to populate Instagram today. <laughs> it's the Mike Novak show, all one word, on Instagram. Um, and I don't even know how that works. How do I get followers, George? We're you, gonna find them, track them down. We I mean, I showed up on down. the Instagram site, and I already had like sixty <laughs> followers. I went, "Well, where did they come from?" You're a popular guy, Mike. Uh, I'm sure George was uh, working in the middle of the night making that happen. But yes, we're on Instagram. <laughs> I can't believe we're on Instagram too. Okay, so we're on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Twitter. Uh, the Facebook is the Mike Novak Show. Twitter is Mike Now at Mike Now. Instagram is at the Mike Novak Show. Um. That's it for now. That's I'm, I'm pulling the plug. Yeah, on, I haven't seen you on social, a bulletin board either. So or big yeah. billboard at the side of the. You know, board. if you need some other social medium, it ain't happening. Not right now. YouTube channel next. That's okay. I've actually got some videos up on YouTube. I've got a YouTube channel. We just need to populate it with something. George, get on that. Get the camera. Where's the camera, George? <laughs> I'm on it. Did you leave it at home? All right. Um, uh, wonderful show today. Uh, and uh, two of the, the folks that are going to make it wonderful are sitting opposite us right now. It's such a pleasure to have Veronica Porter back on the program. She and I met a couple of years ago. We'll talk about it. She's with Veterans Victory Farm out in Naperville. She's with Ask. Do you say aunt or aunt? I say aunt. 
Oh, I'm so glad. You get a beer ding. All right. All right. Ask Aunt V. Because some people say aunt. I'm an aunt guy. I grew up with an aunt. You know, very very Midwest aunt. It is a Midwest thing. I think. Yeah. Ask Aunt V. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is uh, about teaching you how to cook properly. Also out in Naperville way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, Porter... Porter, what do you call it? Porter, Porter presentation. Presentation. I was going to say enterprises, uh, but uh, she does a lot, and uh, we'll get to her in a second. And in the same conversation, or, you know, we're going to weave it back and forth, Patrick Berry is here from Chicago Farm Report. And Patrick, man, you've been writing some really interesting stuff. I'm very curious about uh, some of the stories you've done, uh, like the prepping for vacant lands. Um <laughs> for farms in Chicago is you did a lot of research on that thing. I hounded the city for about four weeks and they finally helped me out. I kind of figured that out as I was reading it because you don't get that information easily. You, uh, you, uh, and I, I was impressed because I, I've talked about that on my show and I wait for people to come on the air and tell me, you know, I'm not hunting them down. I'm, I go, I'll invite them to the show and I want to know how this is done. But you, you did, you the uh, what do they call it the uh, beat the pavement there reporting that's yeah right. real reporting. reporting I love it you get a uh, beer ding for that all right the good news is there's a real commitment from the city to support urban farming and the expansion of it that is good to know yeah. uh, and we'll talk about that we'll talk about uh, eating local in DeKalb and how it might not be as easy as you think it is um, you'd think in the middle of the farm country there DeKalb Illinois and there's lots of DeKalb's in the country. But into Cal, Illinois, uh, and um, also getting in, back into the city, the, there's a plan uh, for a bunch of Englewood farms on the south side, and we'll talk about that. That's it, and it's again everything's connected. It's all connected, whether it's in Naperville, DeKalb, Englewood, Logan Square. Uh, that's the first hour, and you'll all be breathless by the end of that. I'm already tuckered out. Uh, second hour, it really gets interesting, really. Audrey Fisher will be here from the uh, Chicago Astronomical Society, uh, and she's been on the program before. Uh, in fact, the last time she was here, she brought me a box of cookies. You cannot believe this, and I can't believe I didn't post this. I will find, I'm going to find the photo on my computer, George, so you can tweet what she did last time she came to the show. Um, and that is she bought a box of cookies that spelled out the Mike Novak show. And they were stars and other things. And it was, it was pretty amazing stuff. Uh, and uh, I have to uh, get that information out. Now that, you know, instead of listening to you guys when we talk, I'm going to be searching my computer. So if I'm not looking at you, that's, that's what's going on. Um, anyway, she, her whole deal is, and it's a good one, we uh, we send too much. You heard it at the top of the show. The the uh, intro to the show today was Diane Turncheck, who's an astronomy teacher in the physics department of Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. Um, that was her TEDx talk. By the way, I want to do a TED talk. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what it'd be about. How many people in the room want to do a TED talk? Can I see some hands? Wow, Patrick, where's your Patrick? Name? You're no, the only one. No thanks. Patrick doesn't want to do a TED Talk. Too theatrical. 
You want to do That's it? exactly why I want to do it. I mean, I would have no substance. I would have no substance, but the theatrics would be <laughs> you'd be very good. Wonderful. Um, I just need the substance. We'll, we'll work on it. We'll get okay. you one. Okay. We, we need me to do a TED talk. I I I, you, I think you have to be invited, don't you? Or do you submit? I don't um, remember. Is it like the the MacArthur Genius Grant? Because you know, I, I at, at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show, I ran into one of the MacArthur people. Uh, because I write a column for Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, and in it I had referenced once that I still hadn't received my genius grant. And the woman said, oh, I worked in the MacArthur office, and we saw your column. It's really funny. I said, does that mean I'm getting the genius grant? She said, I don't have anything to do with that. And I thought, oh, I need that genius. Oh, so close, so close, yes. I was so close to it. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Uh, oh yeah, that was, uh, Diane Turncheck at the top who, um, was doing a Ted talk about the same thing. Too much light in our night skies, which means we cannot see our own galaxy. Um, we cannot see the Milky way. Um, and there, we're raising a whole generation of people you know, and it's not just kids anymore. You say, well, the poor kids. You know, there, there, there are people George's age, uh, who probably your age, Peggy, who have never seen the Milky Way. I recall several years ago taking my best friend out to Colorado, and we looked at endless sky of Milky Way, and she was just like, wow, has this always been here? Because she grew up in the city, and not, she'd never seen not it. Not always. No, not always. Yeah, go back a couple million years. But she'd no, never no, no. seen like, it growing uh, up in Chicago. 13 billion to the Big Bang. 13 and, billion yeah. years. Yeah, okay. And uh, that's, that's where it's, isn't yeah. that something? Well, that's, that's, you know, Diane talked about that at the beginning of the show, that there was a blackout in, in L.A., yeah. and people looked up and went, oh, what's this? It's a UFO. But I think the fact that we don't see that further helps everyone think how just or not think, but further makes us more disconnected from everything around us. So Audrey's been involved in this. Diane um, in Pittsburgh has been involved in this. Um, and in Chicago, I don't know if Audrey, uh, what Audrey had to do with this, but um, Edmondson High School put together uh, a group of kids, or a group of kids at Edmondson, put together a program called Starry Chicago, and they're competing at the Aspen Challenge in Colorado. They, they won the local, now they're going to the national, uh, and they're going to be here in the studio in the second hour, along with Audrey Fisher, Diane Turncheck from Pittsburgh, and Michael Saminovich, apparently from Thailand. We thought we were, we were going afield last week when we went to Dublin, Ireland, via the Skype. Today, if we can make it work, Michael Simonovich, or Simonovich, rather, uh, and he's the director of the California Lighting Technology Center and associate director of Energy Efficiency Center at UC Davis, University of California, Davis. All these folks are going to be talking about why we should not be flooding our skies with random light, and that's, that's the issue. It's random light. And we're going to get the whole thing about how people are afraid of the dark and, you know, crime and blah, blah, blah. It's, but we're still, we're doing it wrong. You know, you can direct that light. And, and part of the problem is that Chicago is about to change over all of its lights, all of them. And if we do it wrong, we're stuck with those lights for a generation or longer. We can fix that right now so that 
people in Chicago can actually look up and see stars and see the Milky Way. We, it, it, believe me, it's possible, and we'll talk about that in the second hour. And, of course, Rick DeMaio weather at 1045, and I will congratulate him on a perfect Sunday. And there we go. Okay. Wow. All right, that's all the time we have. Good night, everybody. And, and before we get to our guests here, and believe me, we will get to you, let's do our real quick plug for At the Fork, because this is related to what you guys are going to talk about here today. Uh, Peggy and I are involved in a film coming to town on the 13th of July called At the Fork. It's a documentary about how the meat that ends up on your table is raised. Um, You're shaking your head there, Veronica. You know about this. Yes, I do. Yeah. You know about the film? I know about the film and the process as well. Have you been involved in the process? No, no. I've just, when I was growing up, we did a, um, since we lived, I grew in a farming community, my, I was fortunate enough to have parents that were really concerned about the quality of our food. And um, my father would actually, it was quite embarrassing as a young girl, but would go to the farms and see the farming practices of the, uh, the, you know, the the cattle, the pork, chickens, et cetera, before he would um, purchase them. And he purchased them directly and processed them himself because he didn't believe in the processing that was being done. Wow. Yes. And so I went being raised with that when the shock to my system as well as to the knowledge of what was being done in the general industry was alarming. Yeah. And that's what you find out in this film. Mm-hmm. You've seen the film, yeah. Peggy, and uh, so have I. And it, it, some of it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to watch. And the fact that the, the filmmakers had access to some of the larger institutions, larger CAFOs, is kind of surprising because all those ag-gag laws are being passed all over the country so that we can't actually do journalism. And Patrick Berry, that's something that would interest you. You know, if you if you stand across the street and take a picture, they can throw you in jail for it mm-hmm. uh, in certain states. Uh, there's freedom in action. Hey, there's there's freedom of the press mm-hmm. in action. So Yeah, so the film is going to be on July 13th, and... You can order your tickets now, and in fact, we would like if you could get your tickets ordered by June 30th. Um, there's a certain minimum that has to be reached. To, to have the showing in, Chicago. The show I, in I, Chicago. And I'm sure yeah. we'll reach it. I'm yeah. not worried about it. But the more people we have, the larger the venue. Right. And, the, and, and where's the uh, we doing this? At? It's currently at AMC River East 21 in the city. Um, Which is on Illinois, right across from the Sheridan, yeah. and it's and you can get to it very easy to get to yeah. from anywhere, and it's it's yeah, like Mike said, it's going to be packed, um, and if everyone, you know, anybody who goes and reserves their tickets, you can go to tug.com t-u-g-g.com slash events oh just go to my yeah. homepage, mikenovak.net it's right at the top you'll see the logo and you just click order your tickets here that's the easiest way and and please do it now so we know how many people right. are going to come and see this um and natural awakening chicago is a sponsor i'm a sponsor uh the humane society of america is a sponsor whole foods is a sponsor family farm family farms um um, Crate Free Illinois. I mean, there's there's a number of people who are involved in this. Uh, and just to make sure that you see this movie, you see, you know, because the, the idea of the movie is not to make you turn you into a vegan. And there's a few of them in the room here. I get it. Uh, but it's to let you know that you got to think about this. 
it's important for you to understand where your meat comes from. Uh, and that there are alternative ways of doing it. There are better ways. Uh, that's why I go to Cedar Valley Sustainable Farms when I leave here today and I go to the Logan Square Farmer's Market. I'll buy from them uh, because I know how it's raised and I know it's done properly. Um, but uh, when you see some of these huge places uh, in the film, you will understand what we're talking about. So go to uh, MikeNovak.net. Look for the link to At The Fork Film. Get yourself a ticket right now. Right now. We need to know that you're going to be there and support us. We will be there. Peggy and I will be there. Uh, we might even have a table and mm-hmm. say hi to folks. And, and if we're not, we'll say hi anyway. I'll be wearing a big chicken head. Um, <laughs> maybe not. All right. That, uh, with that, that's actually a good intro to uh, uh, our two guests in the studio today. Um, Veronica Porter. Uh, from Veterans Victory Farms in Naperville, and ask Aunt V. And you Aunt can, V. And you can go to askantv.com and find out information about her operation and Veterans Victory Farms. Now, you and I met actually at a meeting called Good Greens, yes, uh, which is part of the USDA. Correct. Uh, Alan Shannon. Who's uh, who gets a, a he beer? He deserves to. He is doing yeoman's work. He is just he he's bringing it. He's been he's an amazing man. He is, and he's been on the show. And I'm going to bring him back on because I know he, he's just doing a ton of stuff. Um, and he invited the two of us to a meeting, and we happened to be at the same meeting. And we got to meet, and I talked to you about your operation. And I went, "Wow, that's really cool stuff." But at the time, you had a restaurant. Yes, I did. Uh, which, the model was so cool, and, and, and I know that you don't do this anymore, but we still we have to talk about it. I thought it was really fun, which is you prepared meals in Naperville, your places in Naperville, and people would call in from the train or getting on the train, and then when the train stopped in Naperville, your folks would be there to hand them their... Their, their th- homemade, organic sustainably grown responsibly grown meal so it would be something that would be like i I, it was called what's for dinner and it would be um um, for instance on monday would be meatloaf potatoes and green beans and a salad it was meant to be something just like mom would make yeah you know because i'm a mother of four and many times when i was coming home from work i would think oh what's for dinner And then, you know, and so I had two options or three options. One was to stop at the store after a long day and stand in line, which just didn't really sound appealing. Gets, go out. And, and you don't want guys out there going, wife, what's for dinner? <laughs> right. And then the second option was to go take the children out. But I had four young children and I, you know, the thought of taking them out and it just didn't, wasn't the family environment I wanted, making some sort of fast food, which was really something I didn't want to do. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice if they in the idea came to me? So it took about a period of time to develop. It was really wonderful. It was very, very well received. People would just order online how many meals they wanted. And again, it would just be on Monday night, it was meatloaf, perhaps, or Tuesday, it was tacos. And it would just, but it was all fresh, organic, like your mom would make. And so it was, it was very, very well received. By not quite everybody, though. <laughs> well, it we our biggest customers were the people who came off the train. So they would get off the train, and we would have our wonderful servers there, you know, 
dressed with a, in black, with, with but a brown very nice, paper bag, with a brown paper bag for them <laughs> <laughs> to take their meal home because it was hot. We made sure it was hot and ready to go. And um, unfortunately, in the environment we live in, the um, seeing men with young men or young women with uh, a paper bag <laughs> raised a bit of question as to what was inside that bag. And so we just, um, while we, we became very familiar with the um, train crowd, we had a wonderful response. We did feel that just for liability and certain issues that, and mm-hmm. concerns, that we, we had so many other interests to do. So we thought we'd put our energy to something that was a little bit more productive. I don't know. That sounds pretty productive to me, and it's very cool. Were you actually making money at this? We were very, very successful at it, yes. Oh, this just... This it was, is breaking uh, my heart. Well, it broke a lot of people's hearts, especially, you know, the thing is that you would have a mom that came off the train. You'd have somebody that maybe well, – our biggest um, um, customer was the um, young, you know, entrepreneur – or not the young entrepreneur, but the, the new, um, you know, single, just starting their career. Yeah. That, you know, it had – Right. They don't want to go home and cook. They've been working all day, and they're young, and maybe they don't even like cooking, right. you know? And, we and, and, they, just, and they go to restaurants, you know, for a business meeting half the time. But today, I'm going to go home and, oh, I'm going to raid my cabinet and see what's there. Instead, right. what's for dinner was waiting with a brown paper bag. It was, and it was only $10 a meal oh. for an all-organic full can you, meal. Can you do it just for me in Logan Square and deliver? We'll work the, on it. We'll work on it. Okay. Oh, that was so good. So that, that didn't happen. But so you morphed your business or you were already, we, we already teaching. Had it. We were already teaching, and I was okay. already working with the garden. So we were already doing those things. We just decided to put our energy to something that was more productive. Well, at the time I met you at uh, Good Greens, you had talked. You said, hey, I'm putting together this thing called Veterans Victory right. Farms. Uh, so I have talked on this program. I, you know, I would say, well, what's that all about? Except that I've talked to other um, farms uh, that, that employ veterans on this, you know, uh, Wild Blue Yonder mm-hmm. Farms Fabulous. in Indiana. And I had mm-hmm. those, and those gals are babes. They came into my show on a Sunday morning dressed to the nines. I thought maybe they were going out to brunch or something. I went, wow, I need to bring, <laughs> bring them back to the show sometime. But they're doing wonderful work in Indiana. And there are other people all over mm-hmm. the country because there is um, a group called uh, the Farmers Veteran Coalition, which is a national organization, and then also started in Kentucky, but Illinois was the second to adopt it. Is Homegrown by Heroes? Homegrown by Heroes. You can find those links uh, on MikeNovak.net if I read about uh, this week's show. And uh, we talked about Homegrown for Heroes because Wild Blue Yonder was part of the Homegrown right. for Heroes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so when did you get started, and how many folks do you have now involved? Well, we actually started, I guess, officially in um, 2015. So we're, we're in our second growing year, even though the preparation for it was about four or five years of coming. Um, we are, um, right now we have about four employees that are coming because of the size of the land. We have five acres um, that we are growing. We have high tunnels, low tunnels, and we are leasing the land. And with us leasing the land, obviously, we are very grateful to the person who's allowing that's there. But there are certain, um, you know, uh, liability issues, concerns they so have. So you don't own the land? I, we do not own the land. That is our goal. Okay. Our goal, we have 10 acres in Oswego that we are trying to raise funds through investors. We are a for-profit. 
which is very important for, to point out. We felt it was very important for the um, group of people we were working with and the people we wanted to support. Um, a veteran goes in, to, 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 chooses to serve our country because of the fact that they have natural leadership skills. Um, I think there's all kinds of, you know, wonderful, wonderful organizations that are not-for-profits that assist a veteran when they come back. However, our goal was to be a hand up. We wanted to continue the mission of giving them the opportunity to um, come back. We wanted to challenge their weaknesses, support their strengths, and to give them the opportunity to move forward in their life. Um, we predominantly work with veterans who have traumatic brain injuries and PTSD. So, again, that gives them the credit, the, the, the capability to kind of work themselves through it. I have a son who has traumatic brain injury. It was non-military, and he, he got the injury at 16, and I've watched for the last 10 years him struggle in a society that doesn't acknowledge what a traumatic brain injury results in. He's a young man. He doesn't want to be identified by his disability. He wants to move forward, but there are certain challenges he has. He would be in occupational therapy, and he would be taking a blue ball and putting it into a blue box, and he'd take a yellow ball and put it into a yellow box, and he would just come out just just angry, and he'd be like, Mom, I did this in kindergarten. <laughs> you know, I mastered this in kindergarten. I don't have to go. He didn't understand the high anti-coordination that he was working on, and he was with a population of mostly 70-plus people, 70 years old plus. And so now he picks blueberries and puts them in a pail. <laughs> It's the same therapy, but at the difference, he's out with men of his own age. And again, we usually have about three or four young men and women working with us, and, and they vary. The um, who comes in, and he's doing the he's getting paid. He's out in the air. It's building him up, and you know. So that's why it was very important for us to have it be a for profit, so that they would realize that this wasn't a charity. That this we weren't just giving them something. That this had a pur purpose. And you know, the thing was that wasn't my term. After the first year, actually after the first week we were growing together, um, the young men and women that were working with us came up to us and said, thank you so much. This is the first time I've done something that has a purpose. And, you know, of all your preparation, that wasn't the word I was thinking of. And I was like, well, great, that's awesome. And they're like, you know, everything we do, all the VA hospital, everything we do, they're just trying to, you know, hand us a solution. We had to, you know, we had to do something with a purpose to start building the solution. And I thought that was awesome. I have to ask you a really quick question, though. How, how are the blueberries doing? I mean, we live in an area that has alkaline soil, and blueberries like acidic soil. How do you deal with it? I know this is I really know. a tangent here. That's okay. We don't have a gazillion blueberries, we're, we don't, we, but we, we have a, a series of bushes, and we just um, uh, work with the soil to make it th the right pH so that we have success with our, okay. our different berries. It's good. I'm not crazy. I thought... <laughs> All this time, I thought it was hard to grow blueberries in Illinois. It is. And, you know, the thing, too, is because we're working with we, – we're right now working with um, uh, uh, TBI and PTSD, but we also do want to eventually start working with um, uh, veterans that have um, physical um, mm -hmm. handicap. And so we are doing certain things that are we're, we're raising them up, which also gives us – well, working in containers has its challenges as far as, you know, to keep it biodiverse, you know, the soil – real healthy, we um, are working very much so, and that makes it a little easier with the acidity. How do you choose the veterans who come into this? Do they apply? or And you must have interviews. We do have interviews, and we do work with the VFW and the American Legion and some different organizations with the, v, the VA. Um, but you know what? It's, it's, not a, it's not like we have people standing in line. We really do have to go out and seek people. 
Really? Mm-hmm, which I'm which I'm hoping will change. Why Why do you think that is? Um, because it's not natural. Again, even though we are a for profit, it's not natural for um, the people who go the, uh, people from the armed forces to come and ask for help. So that's why we made it a, a, but, a but this is not help. It's a job. It's a job. I know. But still in their heads, it's because so many people automatically think it's a not-for-profit. So that's for us a little bit Because more most marketing. of these are, right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when they hear this, they, they just assume it's, oh, it's just another. And so when I talk to them about it, then they get interested. So the word's starting to spread. The thing about it, too, is that we um, are in limited space. Once we get the... Um, 10-acre farm that we're praying that we get within the next year. And then also um, we have another farm pro- yard project that we're starting that we're hoping that we can start to do a little bit more. We're working in schools and helping them build community gardens at the schools. My personal goal for many years has been to get a garden in every school. And so we're starting in April in District 203. This year we started a community garden with the um, – uh, it's the the connections is what it's called. It's the young men and women from 18 to 22 who have disabilities. To get the 10 acres, you're uh, you're not a not for profit, so it's not like you're waiting for the grant to come through. No, you you We're, you have to purchase this. We have to purchase it, and we are looking for investors. And they would be part. They would be. They would own. It would be an investment that they would own the land along with the business and along with the um, property. And as Mark Train said, buy land, they're not making any more of it. So it's a very, very good investment, and it's at a very good location in the Chicago area. So how do people get involved if they want to invest? They are well, veteransvictoryfarm.com, and uh, they can also contact me directly. I'd be happy to talk with them, that's for sure. And it's a really good opportunity. We have a very sound business plan, and it's just a matter of us getting the investors that, that believe in the passion and the, the the project. So how do they contact you in person? Six, if they can call me directly. <laughs> oh, look, she's got to give her number on. Wait, I'm, I'm grabbing my pen here. because I, I need, I'm, I'm happy to hear from you. Okay. Okay, again, it's, it would be Veronica Porter you'd be contacting, and it would be 630-717-0716. Again, that's 630-717-0716. <laughs> and that's Veronica Porter. Mm-hmm. Also of Ask Aunt V. Let's mm-hmm. talk re- re- very quickly about Ask Aunt V so that we can get Patrick into the conversation, too. Definitely. Um, Ask Aunt V um, is a cooking class. It's just very important, I think, for people to understand and to learn the techniques of cooking. Most of the, the classes and or shows I see, they teach you a recipe. Um, that's great, but um, you need to learn the techniques because I believe you never make the same recipe twice. You never, you know, you don't know the freshness of things, you don't know the quality of things, and so it's very important. So, and this all kind of emerged as I was telling Pat earlier was that I was working with building a healthier Chicago, just volunteering, and I was doing different community gardens throughout the city. And then they asked me to start teaching this, working with the CPS students and just teaching them how to cook with this and things. And one day we had this beautiful salad, lettuce, and we had these beautiful radishes and peppers. And we just had this, all the makings for a salad. And I, you know, really excited. Look, you can take this home to your mom tonight and you can make a salad. And like deer in the headlights, they looked at me and said, we get our salad from a bag. And I, it was like this light bulb moment is that Ouch. for generations people have felt that their food comes from a box, a bag, or the drive through window. It's like, I've got to do something about this. And it was just kind of all involved. I wanted to te- not only teach people how to grow quality, good quality food with the food integrity, organically, sustainably, re- actually regeneratively, which means that not just 
It means that we're looking to the next generation. And then also to teach them how to cook it properly. And so that's what I do. We'll, we, we, grow, we teach seasonally. Yesterday we did a cherry arugula warm salad, which was absolutely fabulous. We teach, I teach them techniques, knife techniques, how to purchase properly, how to store, the right way to cook it so that it, you want to make sure that when you're cooking that you're selecting produce that is at its taste and nutritional profile, you know, the highest level. That's why it's so important to buy locally. If you buy something that was um, bought far away, I'm going to say overseas, I'm not trying to put anything down, but <laughs> let's just say that if you buy something from overseas, it was picked three weeks ago. By the time it gets to your house, it's not anywhere near the nutritional value of something that's picked. And so that's one of the things at Veteran Victory Farm is that what we do is we pick it in that morning and it's in the store by noon. That's Every just great. Every day. Every day. Mm-hmm. And, and what are the markets? Where Where are you? Right now, just because of the quality and the, the, for the ban- our demand far exceeds our supply, is um, we are at Casey Foods in downtown Naperville. That's great. Demand exceeds supply. That is but we'd like to, that's why we need more land. The more land we have, the more we can provide. We had Whole Foods, well, I shouldn't say people's names, perhaps. I don't know. You can say whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> okay. You know, you know. We had the buyer from Whole Foods when they started, because we only grow heirloom varieties. Now, a lot of people, when they hear heirloom varieties, think it's only the tomatoes that are all knotted, and grow, but they do know that they taste good. Actually, every single, um, every single um, vegetable and fruit, they have an, an heirloom variety. In fact, they usually have about 10, 15, 20. If you looked at a catalog of seeds from 1930s, it was about the size of the old phone book, if anybody still remembers those, the yellow pages. Yeah. And yeah. it was about that size, and you'd go to cauliflower, and there'd be 10, 15 pages, mm-hmm. and it was just packed. And we just have lost so many of the varieties. So that's why we are only growing heirloom varieties, which means they're non-GMO. They're grown organically. They're, they're organic seeds. They've been grown organically for generations. And um, so, you know, you have these multitude of varieties. Whole Foods, when they heard what we were doing, came to me, the buyer for the seven states around Chicago, this Illinois area, and begged me, can we please have your product? And I was like, I don't have the supply. I'm sorry, I can't. She goes, we'll bring our truck. We'll do everything. I mean, she was just, what you know, really, you know, they, 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 that's the type of food that be, when you introduce it and you taste it. And when you can taste five different tomatoes and each one mm-hmm. tastes different, and they're all good, but they each taste different. Or when you have a cucumber and they each have a different taste quality or different quality in your recipes, it's amazing how easy it is to cook well. <laughs> it's easier, easy. <laughs> easier said than and, done, if you ask me. But but I was going to say, and how much more fun it is because just the variety of I love cooking, mm-hmm. and to me it's relaxing and invigorating. And the variety of textures and aromas and colors and everything when you've got all of the five types of tomatoes and the herbs and everything laid out on the counter, it's just well, you know, everything in life we're supposed to use all five of our senses. So, you know, when you, a lot of people think of eating, oh, it's just taste. No, it's the sight. It's the smell. Mm-hmm. It's the crunch. It's you're hearing, the, you know, the different way that you're, that you're eating. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's everything. So it's just, that's where that all blends in. And that's where you get the full, you know, experience yeah. of the food. So. And I love what you said about the knife technique because I've talked to so many people. Oh, my kids don't know how to cook. My millennial doesn't know how to cook. My 35-year-old doesn't know how to cook. Get the knife basics, because when you know how to slice the vegetables, when you know how to properly julienne something or do something to get the flavor extracted from mm-hmm. it, suddenly your cooking is completely different, even, even if you're following a recipe. Does that mean the knife has to be sharp? 
It does. Yes. Oh. I'm every so, time, so, every I'm time. I'm so busted. Okay. All right. That, that's uh, Veronica Porter. And again, if you want to get involved uh, with Veterans Victory Farms in Naperville, you, you can be part of it. Um, just uh, by calling 630-717-0716. Talk to Veronica uh, or go to veteransvictoryfarms.com. Uh, or askantv.com. It takes you all the same mm-hmm. place. And she's looking for people who want to invest. This is how it works. And you are going to be doing great work. Um, all right. The guy who's sitting there waiting patiently is Patrick Barry from Chicago Farm Report because he's got a lot of stuff to talk about. But we need to take a quick break and do some stuff. And we will come back with Patrick. However, are you tired of the same old, same old big box store genetically modified clone till you drop bee assassin garden center plants? You say you want something really different, yet you're buying the same hybrid hydrangeas that everybody else has. So garden with plants that have thousands of years of natural design behind them and that have been working for thousands of years with our local pollinators and other fauna. Garden with native plants. Natives are the natural choice, and you can get them locally from Natural Communities Native Plants online at naturalcommunities.net. If you truly want to go green, the truly green choice is native plants. Natural Communities Native Plants are locally grown and sourced, and they have more than 150 species native to the Chicago region. They use online shopping and mail delivery, or you can talk to them in person at local green events. So plant with Chicagoland's native plant source, Natural Communities Native Plants. Go to naturalcommunities.net. My buddy, Mike Novak, works for an outfit that is trying to take over the country, but in a good way. Here's what I mean. He writes a column for Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, and that magazine is published by the same folks who publish magazines in 21 states, from Minnesota to Florida, from Pennsylvania to Oklahoma. They're called State by State Gardening. And in most of the Midwest and the South, you can get your hands on a magazine that is going to teach you a lot about gardening in your own state. These great publications feature articles by some of the leading gardening experts in each state, including famous authors, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and even Mike. Well, you can't hit a home run in every at-bat. And who knows, if your state doesn't have a state-by-state gardening magazine, they might very soon. Subscribe today by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. That's 888-265-3600. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie Looking for a housing investment that can pay big dividends? Remodel your kitchen or bathroom. You'll freshen up your home and add value to it, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling needs. Kitchens, bathrooms, master suites, and more. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com.
Oh, yeah. Hey, did you know that Genesis is the Midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies? Find out more at ChicagoAirbrushSupply.com or ArtSupply.com. Stop into their showroom at 2525 North Elston, right where we are, and say that you heard about them on Q4 Radio or the Mike Novak Show and get an extra 10% off their already discounted prices all month long. Genesis, Chicago's only privately owned art supplier, serving all of Chicago artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946. All right. Patrick Berry is here from Chicago Farm Report. And as I mentioned earlier, you've been covering a lot of stuff. Let's start with that where you track down the city for a while to figure out how they remediate uh, land that is going to be used for urban farming. That's that's a fascinating story. Yeah, so for the last four years or so, the city has been putting uh, significant resources into reclamation of certain lots in the city, and I, I noticed them, and I thought these are not uh, uh, half-assed jobs. These are full uh, preparation for urban farming, not just gardening. And so they've done it at... Um, seven sites now uh four of them are active a fifth one is coming on this year and they have two small sites that are uh still uh prepared but not yet being farmed uh one of and you know i have assumed all along well i no, i haven't assumed i know that there are various techniques that are used um one of them that i found out from ken dunn from resource center was one of the things they did was they would roll in clay and they would cap the contaminated soil and then put compost over that but i didn't see that at all in what you wrote in your story there is some use of clay but the the city's method uh mostly is if there's contamination in the soil take off the top yeah they truck it out and i think what what resource center was trying to do is save money because as you pointed out some of that goes into the millions of dollars it's expensive so there was a industrial site on the west side near um franklin and uh Tedsey, that was a $1.5 million job to to uh, remediate it because it was a former factory and they had to take out about three feet of soil. Then they bring in the, uh, the stone layer, geotextile layer, and then the compost layer. So the, the final thing is above grade, but that's partly uh, not as far above grade as, for instance, a Ken Dunn farm would be because he starts at grade and then builds up. Some of the farms are three, four feet off the ground. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You don't want to trip and fall off of one but of those. You, or... you fall onto them. <laughs> you, you don't, uh, and there's a fence around them. The city's, the city's method is uh, remediate the soil, build a fence so that it's a controlled environment, and then transfer the management to a farming operation. So growing home operates one farm in Englewood, the Honoree Street Farm. Heartland uh, Alliance operates the one out on Kedzie, 400 North Kedzie. Uh, The Sweetwater Foundation operates the Perry Street Farm at 58th and Perry. And uh, Angelic Organics Learning Center will operate the Eat to Live Farm at 70th and Princeton. Now, what's great about this, there's, there's, there's good and there's bad. The good is that... As you said, the city is making a commitment to really get involved in urban farming, which is great. But if you're not a huge player, if you're not a big player, you can't afford 
to be part of this. And you can't afford to have this done the way the city is doing it. Um, what about middle to small size players in this process? Well, a lot of the farms in Chicago, if you have a piece of land that isn't contaminated, you can do, as Ken Dunn has done, as uh, the Urban Canopy has done, you you start with a relatively clean piece of land and you add a couple feet of compost and you start farming right there. And that's the method often used um, by uh, operators with less resource. But that leads to the other story of the Englewood Farms uh, business plan is This is a way to help small-scale farmers get started is create a group operation, possibly for-profit, in Englewood that would help get the land prepared, possibly with city land conveyed over to this entity. But then the farmers, individual farmers, would operate on that land and create their own markets and possibly have different business models. Uh, well, let's get there. We're, we're talking Englewood, uh, and that's another story that you're writing about, um, an outline for uh, a row of potential farms in Englewood connected by a bike path. Correct. So there is the Englewood Nature Trail is in the works uh, with City of Chicago support. That's the viaduct, raised viaduct, just south of 59th Street, just north of 59th Street between 58th and 59th. And that is, like the Bloomingdale Trail, uh, a raised uh, viaduct so you don't have traffic conflicts. So it's a a perfect opportunity to create another east-west trail in Chicago. And the idea is, because Growing Home is already there and because there are many vacant lots alongside that that viaduct, this could be what the city calls and what various planning documents call an urban agriculture district. That's that's pretty cool. So, what else would be uh, is the, is the idea that you create the trail and then invite people to create farms along it, or you do this you do them both at the same time, but for different purposes. You want the the trail uh, populated with with pedestrians and walkers and nature lovers, and then you want to fill the land nearby with farms and other enterprises, not just farms, to re-energize that neighborhood. Uh, so, each is. Uh, complementary to the other but they could proceed independently and it's amazing that uh, this part of the city is transforming itself and and reinventing itself I, I i have said see i'm from detroit and having grown up there and lived there um or in in the area for 25 years and having been gone for another 30 and looked back and um say you know i i i've been telling people for decades anybody who wants to hear it is that the city needs to figure out what it is how it reinvents itself and it looks as though it might be urban agriculture right now now that's really controversial in detroit and and i need to talk about it on this show because some people claim that the rich people are buying up all this very um uh uh profitable urban land and turning it into farms, you know, getting it for pennies on the dollar. And others say, yeah, it doesn't matter as long as something is happening to change it because it, sat, it has sat there. And I've watched as, as a former citizen of the city, it's sat there for decades and somebody's doing something. So it's, it is still controversial. But the same thing could be happening on the south side of that, Chicago. That's a very real concern in Englewood. This process, the Englewood Farms planning process last year was uh, led by – 
local stakeholders by Englewood residents and, and uh, Southside residents who said we want to make sure this is a Englewood-led, African-American participated uh, venture. So they are aware of that possibility, though I don't think gentrification is an immediate threat in Englewood. Mm. All right. Uh, and the other thing that you've been writing about, uh, which is kind of interesting, is, you know, here, here you're doing all this urban stuff. And then how did you get involved in this story about Eat Local DeKalb? Well, Patty Ruback in DeKalb was creating a map of local farmers, which is something that we want to do at Chicago Farm Report. But to do a – we've done it for the city with about 50 locations in the city. But to do it for the region, I thought maybe it was several hundred farmers who, who participate in local agriculture. But I'm starting to think it's thousands of farmers because Patty Ruback started a, a map – in DeKalb County, which is just a, a discrete place. And she's over 100 local farms now within 50 miles of, of DeKalb, the, the city of DeKalb. And she did that because her local food co-op closed. And she wanted to get local food, and the co-op closed, and then she went to the supermarket, and it was all warehouse produce coming in from God knows where. And hence the irony of living uh, surrounded by farms. Uh, now, obviously, DeKalb is a college town as well. Uh, but you think about that, and here you are in the middle of Illinois, and you think of farms. And, and it points out things that, that I've been saying for years that you've known about, Patrick, which is that what we grow in Illinois and what in Iowa and Indiana are commodities. There's not necessarily food. Um, it, these are, you know, the corn and the soybeans are used for as many things that are not table related as they are table related. Yeah. That's right. And she, she, and I was going to say that quote that you had in there that people were thinking it was just a fad, eat local. It was right. just like mind blowing. I'm like, what? It was actually the original method, of course. And then we lost sight of that with the corn and soybeans. But when, so Patty thought, what am I going to have to do, traipse all over the county to, to get my local food? And, yeah. in fact, that is what she started <laughs> to yeah, do. Yeah, that was, that was unbelievable. She said, I'm going to find out what local farmers there are. And, in fact, there are, interspersed among the cornfields, there are 50 uh, or 100 different small farm operations that she located and put on a map so that local people could start to exchange information about what was available. They do group buys of produce and of other products. They spread the word when something is coming in from a farmer. The honey is now available. The maple syrup is now available. So she is, in effect, uh, helping create a local marketplace in DeKalb County. And she's also putting a little pressure on the farmer's markets. She's not pleased that the farmer's markets have basically resellers who are buying out of the, out of the wholesale markets uh, in Chicago bringing the stuff out to the farmer's market and selling it. They're not farmers. They're oh. produce sellers. And yeah. this is in DeKalb. In DeKalb. Truck yes. farms, yeah. They're basically – one, she got – she made a point that somebody boasted, I was at the market this morning in Chicago picking up this really fresh stuff. But it, it wasn't really fresh local food. It was just stuff that had just come into the market from California yeah. or somewhere. Ooh. Yeah. Um, you're blowing the whistle on this uh, here, Pat. Well, it, it, 
there is a distinction with farmers markets that some of them say only farmers who grow the food can sell the food. But other farmers markets, I think especially outside of the sophisticated city of Chicago perhaps, they're just uh, produce markets that are mobile, mobile produce markets. That's uh-huh. not necessarily a farmer's market. Just a couple of minutes left. Um, how's the Chicago Farm Report doing? Have you got a staff yet, or is it, are you still the staff? Uh, don't have a staff. I've, I've attempted to recruit a couple of contributors who haven't um, had, had the time to participate. Well, yeah, we because if, if they follow your lead and they spend weeks tracking down the city of Chicago to give them answers, I'm, I'm surprised you got any answers at all from the city of Chicago. I, I was persistent. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I know what that means. I intend to be persistent with Chicago Farm Report. I do hope to get contributors. We're getting very good response on Facebook and very good shares and participation as we spread information. So I'm doing something like Patty Ruback's doing. She's she's spreading the word about the farm industry. That's what we really is our our focus. And I hope over time we'll we'll be able to build some support and build a larger network of contributors. Yeah, and and I encourage people to go to uh, chicagofarmreport.com. You should see what Patrick Barry is doing. It's just uh, really great reporting uh, along these lines. Go to the Facebook Chicago Farm Report. Um, and like it, uh, get on, uh, involved, and uh, you know, and, and volunteer to write. And send us, <laughs> or if you don't want to write, send us tips about stories that we should cover because there's a hundred stories out there, a thousand, and we can cover them in little ways and in big ways. And we need we need the information from people out there. All right, there she is. Get sorry, back in sorry. here, Veronica. <laughs> we, we lost we lost Veronica there. For a second, and, and we're wrapping up here, and I need to say goodbye, and I need to thank you, uh, both of you, for, for being in the studio today. Well, thank you. I apologize. Didn't you, want to interrupt. You, you, were, you were having a little coffin fit there. Yes, I was. Yes. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's okay. Uh, thank you, Veronica Porter. Thank you, Patrick Berry from Chicago Farm Report. And, of course, uh, I'm going to give that number one more time for Veronica, 630 0716, if you want to get involved in Veterans Victory Farms in Naperville, Illinois, um, and uh, uh, you can call or you can go to uh, askantv.com or veteransvictoryfarms.com. Either of those will work. Yes, they will. Thank you very much. And thank you for doing that work out there, the, the work you're doing. And you're welcome to cook me a meal anytime you want. You're on. Well, we'll, we'll make a plan. <laughs> Okay, second hour of the Mike Novak Show coming up. Thanks. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wharf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe? Author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. 
How many times can I say it? Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? Hi, I'm Peggy, and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, on Q4 Radio, and at MikeNovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak. It's madness. Uh, we uh, have a, um, I don't know, a, a boatload. We have a boatload, but we've got starship load. A starship load. <laughs> Audrey has brought something That's really right. special for you, Mike. Oh, no. Uh, Audrey is here in the studio. Audrey Fisher from the uh, Chicago Astronomical Society and other ventures. Uh, and what have you, you got a box of something here. Oh, we have, we got it all. We have so many boxes it wouldn't even fit in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but you've got one in particular here. says the Mike Nowak Show. Oh, all my. Printed oh, in, no. All printed in brownies with star sparkles. Oh, my goodness. All right, now see, I'm gonna, we're going to have to do a little... Uh, Wow. The, and uh, we have another one. Uh, we're, we're, oh, they're, we're missed. Some of the letters are out of order here. Okay. Well, they kind of jumble. They, they, ju- they jump around here. Here we go. <laughs> it's uh, the Mickey Where's the K? Show. Oh, there it is. There it is. <laughs> and the S-H-O-W is in the other box. So. All right. All right. Wait, wait. Uh, I got I got it. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and we also have some... Um, cannoli with an ice cream thing to go to match the green mic. Show, Are you right? kidding me? You brought cannolis? Yeah, and they're in your in your. Uh, oh my gosh! Here's the other box. And this one. Oh, there's, the, there's show. The, show. the show. The show has arrived. Get the other one on the table, and it says drum roll, star roll. We say it, Starry Chicago. All right. In Start. honor of these awesome students, I, I can't I can't tell you how pr- excited I am for their initiatives. There it is. See. Oh my oh, goodness. Starry Chicago. There are chocolate. so many. Everybody's going to have to take a brownie before they leave. We <laughs> once we get a photograph of it, everybody gets a brownie. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. For sure. Uh, see, I, and I sent uh, George and Peggy the photo of the cookies you sent yeah. you brought the last time you were on my show oh, yeah. so now i don't even need they don't even need that photo cuz we've got the Mike Novak show brownies 
<laughs> you are a very, very interesting lady. You know that, well, uh, Audrey. I'm a Chicagoholic and a Chocoholic, so here we are. It's combined. <laughs> uh, Diane, are you able to kind of understand what uh, what's going on here? Oh, yeah, I'm following. Okay, because uh, we're about to post on uh, uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and you will see uh, all the, the photos because uh, my... Uh, my crack staff here, and I say that because they're all on crack. Uh, <laughs> are, be on sugar shortly. They're on, on sugar, exactly, which is the same thing. It's, it's just as bad. Uh, and that's Diane Turnshek. She's an astronomy teacher in the physics department of Carnegie Mellon University. Um, how do you know Diane, Audrey? Well, uh, she's an astronomer, and, um, and we actually both had presentations recently in Hawaii at the International Astronomical Union General Assembly, and uh, both on the same subject matter of light pollution abatement and the effort to restore starlight over even cities. And it used to be that nobody even thought it was possible to restore starlight over cities, and only very recently it is. It is totally um, for the first time, really, in humanity's life, we can responsibly light the streets to be effective lighting, and we can restore starlight over cities, and we're finding so many reasons why we should do it. Even, even not to say that just a starry night, beautiful sky isn't worth it just all on its own. And I literally, I tripped across a story on the Internet that showed that Pittsburgh, and she'll tell you about it, is in the process of restoring starlight over that city with the backup of the community. Even even the most diehard people that care about uh, light pollution thought it was impossible to restore starlight over a city. That was just a pipe dream. And and now it's proven it isn't, and, uh, and I believe this and, city And where was it, it proven that it isn't? Well, we have the technology. I hope that um, I hope we can get a hold of Michael Seminovich, or we should meet with him another time. Uh, uh, let's he, see if uh, Diane's here. Diane, are you with me? Yes, I am. Yay! I can also try switching computers. Ah, uh, what was that? I could also try switching computers. You know what? You you, you sound great. We're just gonna we're just oh. gonna we're gonna go with that. <laughs> you, you took my head off with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I had no idea it was gonna be that loud. Okay, good. Good, 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 good. All right, so um, we're and we're going to get to the, to the kids in a second. No problem. You know, you're you're going to have your say. I'm going to make sure you have your say here on the show. Uh, but Audrey Fisher from the uh, uh, Chicago Astronomical Society and uh, Diane Turncheck is on the phone from Carnegie Mellon University, and they have hooked up because Pittsburgh began. Uh, first of all, I should say that the city of Chicago recently announced that it wants to uh, change out all the lights. 270,000. 270,000. So they're taking, you know, RFPs and and having meetings, and the only person stopping them from blasting all this light into the sky are the people in this room, basically, okay? It seems like it. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Uh, but you're the kind of person, Audrey, who's brought it to their attention. And then uh, the uh, the students uh, from Starry Chicago at Evanston uh, High School uh, uh, have also put uh, a presentation together, which we will talk about in a second. But before all that, Pittsburgh did this in 20, what, 2010, 2011, Diane? 
so we did change out some of the lights because we had a grant and it was a timely thing. We had to spend money and we changed out some 4,500 lights incorrectly. We just Whoa. took existing, the existing poles and stuck LEDs in them instead of the sodium vapor and they are glary and awful. And at that point, people went, whoa, if we're going to do this, we need to do it right. And so that's when Carnegie Mellon got involved and the mayor's office, the sustainability department, and we ran this huge study, uh, research study, in the best practices for changing out the other 40,000 and the ones already changed correctly uh, with shielding and no glare and trying to keep the LED temperature down a little lower, more at the International Dark Sky Association recommendation, which is 3,000, 4,000 in the business districts perhaps. But we learned from doing it wrong initially, a few lights to, um, and, and other cities who have done it just awfully, uh, turning the, uh, the night into day, basically, and scattering. So Rayleigh scattering says that blue light scatters more easily in our atmosphere than red light. And so these new LEDs typically have more blue in them. And people think that if you make the night look like day, it's safer. Yeah, you know, you, you've raised only like, in their heads, <laughs> right? Right, and you've raised about uh, a dozen points there. Okay, uh, all all at once, which which uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to encapsulate into a, a statement here. A um, a lot of cities are starting to change out their lighting because they can save money by using LEDs, and, and it's a fact because they they require less energy, and and cities need to save money. And you say, okay, that's good. That's the good part. That's the good news. The bad news is, as you said, Diane, they're doing it wrong. Why is it they're doing it wrong? Well, because they don't. They're not paying attention to anything except the energy savings on it. They're not paying attention to where the light is going. They're not uh, uh, retrofitting the devices. What do you call them? The uh, the shields uh, on the lights, uh, which I saw in. And I looked at part of that study uh, in Pittsburgh. Uh, and uh, that was one of the, the criticisms. Uh, and as you said, they, they replaced a bunch of these and got them wrong. Uh, and the problem is, and I want to get to those numbers that you brought up, Diane, and, and Audrey's here can help uh, clarify that. Folks will say, well, what's the problem? You know, we're going to save money, and that's, that's what a, a municipality is going to do. The mis- municipality is going to come in, and their people are going to go, well, it's all about saving money. All the rest is gravy. Yeah, what's the ROI? Our, what's the ROI? Exactly. Ah, if you use that term. Everybody <laughs> know what ROI is? It means return on investment. Okay. How soon till we get our money back? Every time people come to me in my radio show and, they, and I try to get them to be an advertiser and they say, well, what's the ROI? I, I, I just like, I shut down. It's like, okay, we're done. If you, if you don't know what the ROI on this show is, then I can't help you. Um, but the same thing happens in these cities. So we need to point out why... Starlight, 
why um, the the random glare that we why, why starlight's important, why random glare is not good. Um, who wants to start in there? Maybe one of the students here from Edmondson High School from uh, Starry Chicago. Who wants to jump up and tell me why it's a bad thing um, to have all this random light out there? And your name is? My name is Yalom. Um, so one of the reasons, well, one of the effects that light pollution has on... Yeah, you've got to talk right oh, yeah. into it. Okay. I'm sorry. So one of, the, one of the effects of light pollution is that it disrupts the migratory um, cycle of birds um, because of artificial light. Well, birds rely on um, light, especially um, during the night, just to um, travel. So a lot of times these, this artificial light that's emitted um, through the glare and everything, it, uh, it impacts where they go, and this leads them to collide in buildings, and that's why a lot of them end up dying. You see a lot of dead birds. And also, I mean, there's also a lot of um, neurological effects. Um, it also impacts our circadian rhythm. St- the Stanford Epidemiology Research Center just published a recent um, research uh, paper on all of those impacts and how it may even lead to depression. Um, and uh, and Depression uh, in birds? No, no, depression in people. <laughs> Sorry. I'm kidding you. And, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of... But for birds to be depressed, too, if yeah, they go course. whacking into buildings, oh, that's, yeah, that's very depressing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but, 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 but in terms of human beings, there are physical... Pro- <laughs> you're, you're, you're laughing at you're me. You're cracking Aud- up, Audrey. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but there are problems. There are physiological problems that happen in human mm-hmm. beings. Yes. And psychological problems as well. Of course. But the physiological problems are, extend beyond depression. They, you know, I, uh, uh, my buddy uh, Bill Turk uh, texted me earlier uh, about this. And uh, let me see what uh, he says. A number of significant health issues associated with light saturation, stress, weight gain, sleep disorders, depression, heart disease, cancer. Uh, and you're, not, you're all nodding. Anybody want to address that? Well, I personally, I have a cancer history myself, so this is near and dear to my heart. And, and I can tell you two, two essential things. One, without a doubt, it does dramatically increase your risk for breast cancer, colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, some lymphomas, and, uh, and so much more. But not only that, if you are a cancer patient, Dr. Blask, who was a guest on this show um, the last time. Right, the last time you and I talked here. Right, in from Tulane, his research studies, since we've seen you last, um, proved that if you're a cancer patient sleeping in a room with a streetlight filtering in through typical bedroom curtains, your cancer chemotherapy treatment will be, will be rendered ineffective. So because if, of streetlights. Be, yes, because of what it does, and not to say it's only streetlights that can do this. You can do it if you have a hallway light on that's filtering in your room or if you leave the TV on. Any light except a dim amber or dim red. So if we can get any message clear to the folks listening today that could give an impact for their safety, their family, and their loved ones right now, it is to, if you're a cancer patient, honest to God, please sleep in a dark room, a room that's so dark you can't see the hand in front of your face, unless it's a dim amber or dim red nightlight. If you're Red can- works. Uh, that was one of the things that, uh, Diane, you, you mentioned in your TED Talk. We were talking earlier on the show and, uh, about, about which of us in the room wanted to do a TED Talk, and we pretty much all wanted to do a TED Talk. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, she's amazing. So I, I was impressed by that. But you mentioned in that that red light um, is a good way to go. But uh, And I will direct this to Diane. If you use red light, who's using it? Because you're not going to use it as a street light. Or you're not going to use it to try to read by. What are you using red light for, Diane? Well, actually, there are computer programs now that will dim all your screens, your phone, and everything to an amber color so that it doesn't affect your melatonin production. And there is also, if you take the street lights down to 3,000 Kelvin, you're limiting all the blue light out of the spectrum there. Okay, let's, let's, let's stop right there because that's where people's eyes glaze over. Uh, people mm-hmm. who are lis- li- <laughs> listening and who say, what, Kelvin, 3,000? What are we talking about? So what we need to explain to them right now is what are the streetlights at right now and and how would they, would they be changed? And, and, and you mentioned, you know, blue light. You've mentioned red light. You've mentioned Kelvin. Uh, can we get a sense of what we have and what we need to change to? Yes. Um, so people have this impression that Things that are like fire are hot. So when you're talking about clothing or makeup, you talk about warm tones, pink inside a room, and you think of the warm tones as being like orange and red and cool tones as being blues and greens. Well, that's exactly opposite what I'm talking about. So scientists use the actual temperature of the light. So Kelvin is like centigrade, only it starts at a different point. It starts at absolute zero, minus 273 Kelvin. Uh, centigrade is zero Kelvin. But the blue is the hotter light, just like blue stars are hotter and red stars are cooler. So generally, the, the high-pressure sodium, the ones that are out there now that people are changing, they're at 2200. Kelvin. The ones that we want to put in, we don't want to go any higher than 3,000 Kelvin. Those are still in the yellow-orange area. The streetlights that some people are putting in now are going up as high as 6,000 or 7,000 Kelvin, which is way blue, bluer than even moonlight. So what we want to do is keep the light to uh, a warm tone, but a cooler temperature. And the problem there is that business owners are the only ones against it. Here we are fighting against the creep of light pollution, and everybody is on our side. Everybody you talk to, there's, there's no pushback, except for business owners who think safety goes with brighter light. And even after scientific studies show that there is no correlation, in fact, there may even be an anti-correlation there, that nobody goes and is, does criminal acts in places where there's no light at all. Criminals don't like to walk around and their flashlight be the only visible light. So what we have to do is we have to change people's perception of what is a safe amount of light. And why making the night just like day is not the safest thing to do. Okay. Um, 
And when you talk about blue light, you're talking about the temperature of the lamp, not necessarily tint or anything like that. Is that is is that the as the the more energy is put into the the uh, the lamp and the light, it shifts in the spectrum. Is that right, Diane? Right, that's right. So white light LEDs can be a composite of blue LEDs and green LEDs red LEDs, and sometimes they even put amber LEDs in there. So it's not only temperature. It's actually a mix, a mix of the colors. So in order to have drivers be safe when they're driving and have enough light to see, you have to have the right color mix in there as well as the right intensity of the light. And it actually, studies show that it's better if you have patches of light and then variations like a little darkness, a little light, a little darkness, a little light, because it helps people to uh, see distance better, and it helps older drivers whose eyes don't adjust as well to, to not hit glare, uh, which, which just shuts down their pupils, um, shuts down the, the iris of the eye so you cannot see the... Uh, the light at all. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I'm, I want to go to the team here um, from uh, Starry Chicago. Is that something you guys talked about in your report and what you're doing? In fact, I, I need to uh, address the, your presentation that you're going to be doing. Did you guys talk about crime at all? Is that involved? Um, actually, yes, we did. Hi, and, my name's Justin. Justin. Hi, Justin. So uh, my partner and I, uh, we went to a Chicago Infrastructure Trust meeting where they were making claims about the uh, lights that they're going to be implementing into the Chicago region. That The claim was that not only will it be uh, energy efficient and cost saving, it would cut down the time it would uh, need to be able to repair the lights. For instance, um, one of your standard lights would take about a few days or so to repair, especially in those areas that need it the most where uh, crime is most prevalent in the, the dark where um, implementing the LEDs that they're going to be doing, they're going to be able to do so uh, repairs in about a few hours. So that would save, generally speaking, a lot of time for those people that need it the most. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about um, that. And I'm going to get to Chicago Infrastructure Trust um, uh, in a a second, too. Um, But let's start here because you guys are in the studio. So we've got Yalom. And Justin and Natalia. Natalia, uh, and uh, Natalia, maybe you can tell me about the competition itself. You um, and and how your group got involved in it. All right. So basically, um, there's this institute named the Aspen Institute, and every year they issue a new city um, this thing called the Aspen Challenge. So basically, what the Aspen Challenge is is they pick 20 high schools from the city, like for Chicago, they picked 20 high schools all around the city, and they issued them six challenges to choose from. We chose David Ling Challenge, uh, challenge which was to illuminate the unknown in our community. And we, and, th- and that was that was a figurative way of putting it. Yeah. You know, when you say, you, okay, so you, when he said illuminate the unknown, it really didn't have anything to do with light and light fixtures, but that's where you went with this. Yes, so Miss um, Murray, our coordinator... Um, she basically teaches a lesson every um, in her freshman class at the end of her um, 
of the school year, basically about light pollution. And it is just such an unknown. I had no idea what it was. And we just had the bright idea to just basically go with it. And what we did, we created a program that teaches, advocates, and tries to stop light pollution. All right. I'm going to ask you, each of you, a question. Yalom, Natalia, and Justin. And I guess Colleen. Uh, in the back, uh, I, Audrey, uh, you all, uh, and 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 Diane. I know your answers already. Had you guys ever seen the Milky Way before you started this project? No, I never have before. I imagine it's beautiful, though. Oh, you still haven't seen it? No. Now, see, I would I would have figured you guys would do a field trip, get out someplace dark, so you could see the Milky Way. Well, actually, one of our well, our, our ultimate goal with the program um, is after we educate the kids and just create awareness, we, we hope to, after we fund the trips, we hope to take them out into these beautiful, like dark sky friendly areas where, and hopefully, the Milky Way, where they can really experience um, a true dark sky. Well, you know, if you go to Colorado, you just duck behind a mountain. <laughs> and, and, and it's true. I mean, there. Uh, I'll have to tell you something. Um, uh, Diane, in your in your TED talk, you talked about you 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 doing this Mars thing where you where you simulate what it would be like to live on Mars, which is pretty cool in itself. But to do that, you went out to the desert in the Southwest, and you were amazed at how the Milky Way popped out at you. Can you describe that a little bit? Oh, it was it was amazing. The, the desert where we were in Utah was so far from anywhere else. Uh, I went to graduate school at the University of Arizona, and I observed up on Peak, and I've been to many observatories where the sky is beautiful, but this this was just breathtaking. We had some nights that the atmosphere was still, and the stars, there were just thousands of stars. You, you couldn't pick out constellations, there were just too many stars. And you could literally see a shadow cast by the Milky Way. It was one of the best times that I've ever seen the Milky Way. And I, I do take my students, my astronomy students at my astronomy club at CMU, and there's an astronomy club at Pitt now that's joining us uh, to go to NRAO, the National Radio Astronomical Observatory. Every year we get a bus and go down there so that students can see the Milky Way for the first time. I love that you students are doing this. I am so thrilled. <laughs> you. Hey, sorry, you're, you're, you're so well. I'm, I'm completely impressed, and I do hope you get to see the Milky Way soon. So one of the goals is maybe not to see the Milky Way from downtown Pittsburgh, but we're trying to at least Why make not? the circle smaller that yeah. you have to drive out of the city to see it. Well, you can't, uh, you know, and if you if you live around Chicago, see, it depends on the size of the city. And in, in Chicago, you got to go out, well, it, it helps if you can go to the lakefront because you can look east and you can see something, but there's still a lot of glow. Uh, but, you know, you've got to drive 60 70, 100 miles away from the city of Chicago to see anything at all. Let me tell you a story um, about my own experience. And, and one of the things, people look at uh, these photos taken from space of the dark side of the planet Earth, and it's all lit up. And I think a lot of folks go, ooh, isn't that cool? And I'm screaming, no, it's not cool. That's the problem. There's too much light. And if you look at certain points of the country, like you said, Diane, you go out to Utah and you could actually see the stars. I used to have a vacation home on the Olympic Peninsula of Washington State, 
Okay, so this was in the Olympic uh, mountain range and um, on a glacier-fed lake, a town of 900 in virtually no glare at all. Now, we were surrounded by 300-foot-tall trees, so there was like a narrow gap. You could, there wasn't, there wasn't sea to shine, you know, it wasn't vista, okay? It was like you could look straight up and maybe see some stars, but when you did, you saw the Milky Way. Even in this narrow little band um, in between the trees, you could see it. Because, and it's not about the trees. It's about what ambient light is there. And that is just something everybody needs to experience uh, because it's part of being human. It's part of, of our connection, not just to our planet, but to our universe. We have no connection to our universe anymore. And it's very interesting because... Um, uh, a few weeks ago at the top of the show, I, I ran a piece of some uh, astrophysicist or, or astronomer uh, uh, does a blog, and he said that in a couple of billion years, all the rest of the galaxies are going to have receded from us. So the only thing we're going to be aware of is our own galaxy. We're not even going to be able to see with the, the best telescopes that there was ever anything like a universe. Our universe will consist of our only our own galaxy now. Will we be around in a billion years? Probably not. But, you know, that's, that's what's going to happen uh, if, if that happens. So at least now we have telescopes. We can see other galaxies. We can see the remnants of the Big Bang. All of that will be gone. That will be erased. And what we will think is the, the universe consists of just our super galaxy because we will merge with andromeda galaxy and it will become whatever it becomes which was just that blew my mind of course so while we're here we have to 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 be cognizant of the universe around us and if we can't see it how are we cognizant of it so all right uh, we only have a few more minutes but the gang in in the room here from starry chicago and let me introduce reintroduce everybody audrey fisher is here. How do you want to be introduced, Audrey? I'm president of Chicago Astronomical Society. Okay, so you're the president. I didn't realize you were the president of the Chicago Astronomical Society. Only for another month, and my term maxes out. Okay, (laughs) all right, so Audrey, Chicago Astronomical Society. On the phone, we have Diane Turncheck, who's an astronomy teacher at Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, And in the room, we have Yalom and Natalia and Justin from Starry Chicago. In the back of the room, we have uh, uh, Colleen Murray, who uh, helped guide them through all this. You guys, um, the team now, tell me what you're going to do in Colorado and how you're going to win this prize. Uh, well, technically speaking, there is no other prize to be won. Well, then just... forget it. Don't go. <laughs> well, uh, besides... if, if there's not going to be a prize, I'll tell you what. If you win, you get chocolate brownies. I got them right here. All right. Well, I'll keep you to that. I'll come okay. back. But uh, we hope to spread our awareness of light pollution in this our community and, uh, well, ultimately to receive some help for future funding for our programs. And uh, we're also advocating for, um, what was it, uh, much more awareness in the city. So mm-hmm. we hope that in Aspen we can gather some people that would uh, ultimately help us in our adventures. Uh, and when you're looking for people to help you, you know, obviously you want to spread the word to other cities so that other right. cities start doing what we're trying to do here in Chicago, right? Right. Now, you said you've met with the C- CIT? Uh, CIT, Chicago Infrastructure Trust. Okay. Yes. What was that like? And, and those are the people who are basically shepherding this thing 
this light change in Chicago, right? Yeah, they're so they're behind it all. Yeah, yeah, uh, and they're appointed by the mayor. Is that it? Uh, private funding and also government. So yes. Okay. What was that like to to talk to them? Uh, well, in a room full of people that have this much power, it's kind of <laughs> a little bit. Uh, it's stressful. It's a, a lot of pressure, but um, they're very um, aware of what they want to do. However, they're not aware of what it's going to do. I feel like uh, when I was at that meeting, they were hitting all the points that would, you know, pop up in someone's mind. Oh, you know, crime rates are going to go up if we don't do this. Uh, there's we got to save some money for Chicago. We got to implement this. We got to implement that. But I think that at that meeting, they were thinking about just so much into the people that they forget that the people also have a saying too. They forget that there's something else that we want out of this. We want to see the stars. Did you have any sense that they even understood that this would be an issue when they started talking about changing out the lights in Chicago? Uh, Yalom? I wasn't at the meeting, but yeah, I think that um, they weren't really aware of, I think a lot of times when you're, uh, they, they were mostly thinking of how it would be cost effective, but they, they don't, always think about, oh, how will this affect our ecosystems? And we're part of um, all of that. So I think I, they weren't aware of all of the, the repercussions of their decisions. So. Mm -hmm. Yes, Audrey? Uh, the one thing I'd like to say is that they've been responsive. Oh, good. They're, they're listening. I mean, I could, I could just jump a jig. And, and I really honestly believe that Chicago is – the people in charge are getting the message. And this will be the largest installation of LED lighting in the world. And, and we already have the reputation of being the most light-polluted city on the planet, don't that, we? That's a fact. It's a published fact. And hey, do we get a ding for it? No, I'm not no, going to No, let's not no, ding no, that no, no. and save these dings because <laughs> we're, we're, I'm telling you, that I, I believe it in my heart that Chicago's going to seize the opportunity and restore starlight, starlight over this town. It will save money. We will be able to, we will have effective, efficient lighting. We're going to avoid the mistakes that other cities made. Like Pittsburgh. They're, they, sure, they made a mistake at the beginning. Uh, Davis in California made a mistake in the bidding. Phoenix, LA Phoenix made a mistake. Because, why? Because the lighting manufacturers knew it was cheaper and easier for them to produce blue-rich lighting. And that's why they were pushing the blue lights. And now that all the research is coming up how bad it is for the environment, they ought to pull, them, they ought to pull every single one of those lights we don't have to go that route. We can learn from their pitfalls and install 3,000 Kelvin or less. And the, the other cool thing is too bad we couldn't get Michael Semenich on because he's an expert in adaptable lighting. Well, you know, maybe this is for a future show. We, yeah. we'll, oh, we'll, we'll line him up ahead of time so that we can get him yeah. here. Uh, I do want to go back to you before I let you go, Diane. What about where pittsburgh stands what's the future um you said they didn't quite get it right in the rollout of this are they working to fix it yes there are there are committees in force that are going to absolutely do it right one of the things i want to suggest for the students and audra um we went through the arts that was one of the ways that we tried to get people on board uh, i had four different 
astronomy and space art exhibits at different places around the city. And these galleries were gorgeous, but the artists were painting nebulas and star fields and planets. And while they were painting, I would talk about light pollution. And we had a bunch of light pollution demos, and the arts community in Pittsburgh just embraced it. We had so much fun this past year painting astro journals and just having displays up at many spots around the city. And that might be something you can think of. We also took telescopes and diffraction grating glasses with emission tubes to places like the zoo because this light affects animals. And zoos and aviaries and aquariums, they're very happy to have people come in and talk about this. Um, there, there are places that you wouldn't think that you can go and people just love to hear your stories. And so think outside the box. I guess that's my, my message for the students. Don't just go to schools like everybody goes to schools, but you know, think what other parts of the community, the, um, the old uh, in Pittsburgh, we have uh, Osher College, which is 55 years of age and older. And people, maybe in nursing homes, that remember the way the skies were. <laughs> so people that you might not think uh, to first hit. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Diane Turncheck uh, from uh, Carnegie Mellon University. I hope we talk again uh, soon because uh, I want to continue this. We need to, we need to push forward. Uh, in Chicago for the right lighting, and uh, you good, can. Good luck to you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and uh, let's. Uh, you have a great day, and go see some stars. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, Mike. Bye bye. Appreciate it. Bye. And uh, in the, okay, before I let you all go here in the studio, now. I'm counting on you to Instagram this and to tweet this and to Facebook this. It takes your photos now before you leave the studio. So now you got all this. I'm going to. I think they can Snapchat too. Okay. Oh, no, not Snapchat. That's just... okay. Go ahead. Snap. You can Snapchat as, if you want as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I want to thank uh, you guys uh, for being here uh, as well. Uh, again, Yalom, Natalia, Justin, Colleen Murray, um, of course, Audrey Fisher, who uh, who insta- who's the instigator? She's a, she's the chief instigator. But uh, I'm very interested in this, and I want you guys. Oh, by the way, I saw a really very funny tweet just came across. Um, let's see if I can find it here from uh, Anthony. Do you know Anthony Yaris? Anybody? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Anthony writes, "Who would have thought something like the Milky Way could be so elusive?" Hashtag darn humans. I like that. So, yeah, it is elusive. We need to we need to find it again. So thank you all for coming in. Like I said, oh, okay, yes, go sorry. ahead. Oh, and we're at Amundsen High School. Rolled Amundsen, not Evanston. No, no, I said Amundsen. I'm, I just didn't pronounce it correctly. I mean, I mean, it, it, it is Amundsen. Did what? Oh, it was in the tweet. Ah, George's fault. No brownies for you. Delete that and then put, yeah, it's Amundsen. And A M U N D S E N, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Uh, and you guys are the Viking Net, is isn't? Yeah, oh, we're Vikings. Vikings. Yeah. Vikings. You're the Vikings. I was looking on on the on the website uh, the other day, 
But, uh, yeah, it's Amundsen High School. And, and let me make sure that folks also know that um, they can visit your project site, um, uh, starrynight.com, right? Uh, I'm sorry, 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 starry night. Uh, starry, starry Chicago. Uh, yeah, no, no. Yeah, starrychicago.com. Um, go to org. org. Let's try it again. Okay. Starry Chicago. I've got, I should just click on it. And then, starry Chicago. Star, just look Starry Chicago. Just, just, just you know, put it in the search engine. And starrychicago.org. Uh, also on Facebook. Uh, where else are you guys? Twitter and Instagram. Twitter and, and is it all just Starry Chicago? Yes. Yep. Very simple okay. and easy. Hey, listen. Thank you. Thank you all for for coming down. Thank all right. Now, us. now yeah, go crazy with us. your social media so <laughs> that uh, I'm. All, I make sure I want at least ten likes on the Mike Novak show before the end of the day. Okay, at okay. least. Okay. All right. That's what we're talking about. All right. As Shakespeare once wrote, that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet unless thy name be knockout. But if you're not a gardener, you don't get that joke. Okay. Today, uh, (laughs) it doesn't doesn't exactly go like that. But Shakespeare lived about 400 years before we started cloning the smell out of our most iconic flowers. And that is the truth. A lot of them don't have real sense anymore. But not always the case. My buddy Jean Starr points out in the May-June issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, she tracks down roses, peonies, sweet peas, heliotropes, lilies, carnations, hyssop, and even coneflowers. And uh, Peggy and I talked about this last week. I didn't realize coneflowers had a scent, and neither did you. But I'm not sure. Well, maybe I'll, I'll stick my nose in there and we'll find out. Um... And uh, hyacinths. Don't even try hyacinths in your your house because uh, you'll have to move. Uh, Then there's my column on the inside back page of every issue if we're talking about smells. Okay, that was a joke that Saturday Night Live rejected in 1982. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com. But if you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600. You're a gardener, and you've heard over and over again about how important it is to help our pollinators by putting native plants in your garden. And yet, you haven't really figured out how to make the switch. It's a little intimidating, right? You can never find the plants that you want, and you'd like some advice to go with those little blue stems, wouldn't you? Fear no more. Natural Communities native plants are here, and you can get them online at naturalcommunities.net. Natural Communities native plants are locally grown and sourced, featuring more than 150 species native to the Chicago region. They have convenient online shopping and mail delivery, but they also appear at local green events where you can get those questions answered. Garden with plants that have thousands of years of natural design behind them and that have been working for thousands of years with our local pollinators and other fauna. Garden with native plants. And in Chicagoland, the way to do that is with Natural Communities Native Plants. Go to naturalcommunities.net. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. 
The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings, it's the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even healthy pets. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to help keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Spending more time at home these days? Give yourself some room. Renovate your basement or attic. You'll increase your living space and your home's resale value, too. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for your remodeling needs, including additions, renovations, and other home improvements. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. One ringy dingy. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Rick. Hang hey, on. Rick. Aha, now that's how we fade out the music and bring in meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Hey, what a great Sunday morning. Uh, speaking of weather, if we like it cooler and drier on a Sunday morning because we had the the the, the warmth and the humidity yesterday, um, uh, this is, I guess, one you know one little piece of good news that we've had. Yeah. Um, you know, it was it was warm Friday. It was hot yesterday. Um, and I think someone said to me, oh, it's, it's awful out. I'm like, yeah, it's summer. And they, they gave me that look like, but it's really hot. I'm like, yeah, and it's summer. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I, just, I just go, but, you know, this is what you want. This is what you expect. And this is what we have. It just seems that uh, more and more, it seems like our level of comfort seems to get lower and lower or smaller and smaller. Does it seem that way to you as well? Yeah, it's uh, folks. They, I think they have the shortest memories. Uh, we we have shorter memories than guppies. Uh, you know, we we forget that in June it gets warm, and you know, and in summer it gets <laughs> and hot. It gets humid, yeah. It gets humid, and in the winter it gets cold, and then we complain. Um, yeah. when, when you know, <laughs> you know, increments of ten degrees. All we uh, we're complain machines. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think we are. So I I I I kind of um, battled the heat yesterday by uh, visiting some family members who had a pool. And um, sitting poolside with a couple of ice-cold becks was the best way to enjoy that. And then last night, going out and um, uh, having a, you know, a couple of ice-cold martinis sitting outside. Because for some reason, ice-cold martinis tend to taste better when you're sitting outside. There's something about it. And I like the way the glass kind of gets fogged up with that, that humidity. I, I, I like that. <laughs> You know, I wish I'd had a martini in the middle of the afternoon yesterday instead of instead of doing my show prep. That would have been a lot more fun. Okay. Yeah, it'll probably make your show prep go a lot longer. (laughs) You know, it does. Uh, Funny how that works. It was kind of 
you know, uh, you know, and I'm not complaining about it. I'm just observing that it suddenly out of nowhere got hot and humid. And you know how right. and how I noticed was I have a number of plants. Uh, some of my vegetables uh, kind of reacted strongly to the sudden onslaught of heat. They got a little lit. Good way or a bad way? In a, in a bad way. In a bad way. Mm. I mean, I had mm. droopy plants. Uh, I was keeping monitoring them, and I have a feeling it's because uh, it has been rather cool, and then all of a sudden, you know, we bumped right. 15 degrees, and we're in the 90s. Uh, yeah, and, and, and also, you know, pretty warm and humid, you know, during the overnight period. And it's interesting you mentioned the garden, Mike, um, because I was at uh, a family member's house out in Crystal Lake, and she brought me over to their community garden, and it's called Hill Acre. I think it's called Hill Acres Farms or Hill Farm Acres, one of those things. Um, and this was enormous. You would have really, really liked it. Uh, it's off of a road called oh, – I'm trying to think of the road. I could probably send you the website okay? because um, I think there is one. And it probably stretched for, oh, I would say about maybe five acres. And each person had like a 20 by 40 foot plot. Uh, and you can see there were the plots where, you know, people obviously were, you know, tending it like literally day and night and things like that. Other people kind of went back and forth. And I was, and, and, and I'm glad you brought that up about how certain plants, you know, reacted differently. Um, and I, and I noticed there were, there were three plots and these three plots obviously were all by the same, you know, two people because they all looked really, really good. And the broccoli was enormous. The lettuce, the red lettuce looked unbelievably good. Whereas you looked at other people's plots and it didn't look as good. So, so what's the difference between the two? Are, are people tending it better? Are they using, you know, some, some sort of fertilizer? I mean, what's the deal with that? Oh, it's probably good soil, um, good uh, um, methods for uh, growing their, their crops. Um, you know, I think part of the reason that some of mine were a little droopy is that I just got them planted the other day. We're, we've been sort of behind my, my little adventure in Evanston hospital, uh, in April set me back a month. Right. And, right, right. And yeah, so, that'll do it. That'll do it. And so we're just kind of catching up. And so, um, a few plants that got put out just the other day really didn't like the heat all of a sudden. And, uh, right. there's not much you can yeah. do. You shepherd them through and they'll be fine. But, mm-hmm. yeah. but, but yeah, the roots yeah, haven't developed. Yeah. yeah. I was I was talking with a bunch of um, I was at a, a meteorological um, networking group uh, last Thursday and there were three people there, all who basically watch um, you know the grains and and uh, the different um, agricultural commodities, and supposedly beans had hit you know near record high last week um, due to the expected you know heat. Um, and also corn as well. Uh, I don't think record high, but got, you know was was expected to get pretty high on Friday. This is, this um, this event was on Thursday, um, and it wasn't so much due to the heat, but it was due to the speculation based on the upcoming heat uh, in the growing area, and that it was coming at a time um, that when the corn was beginning to you know I, I guess beginning to tassel out or beginning to some certain stage. I, I kind of missed out on that part. Uh, but it's interesting, Mike, how much the commodity market um, is is so in tune, not only with weather forecasts, but the trend of weather forecasts and the trend of how you know people discuss what could happen and what might not happen, uh, and also how I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, 
um, how our commodities here in the U.S. are also based on what's going on in other parts of the world. And I, and I was talking to this person. I said, so has your job gotten easier with, with newer technology? And he said, no, it's actually gotten harder because we're now so integrated with what's going on in the rest of the world that even the smallest of, of, a, of a tip in the trend one way and another uh, begins to take everybody in a certain direction for a certain period of time. And it's almost like you're not just predicting weather, but you're predicting um, how people are going to react to the weather. Uh, yeah, and uh, I agree. I can see where where um, more information makes life a little harder. What I didn't have 15 years ago was Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and and mm-hmm. all and it's all laid out here and there's a tyranny of of too much information mm-hmm. um yeah. uh and i suspect in the 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 old days uh these guys commodity guys they would make predictions based on long-term trends or or a hunch whereas now they're doing it hour by hour or minute by minute yeah. Um, right, and 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 they used to have Saturday and Sunday off. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> wow, <laughs> it, what it, a concept! It just doesn't. It is. It's seven days a week, and even though there's not trades being, um, I mean, I remember one of my good friends he used to pull me down into. Um, I, I used to let him into the into the uh, weather office at United Airlines just so he could look at weather maps on Sunday afternoon, because uh, his office was closed. And he didn't want to go in on early Monday morning to get absolutely hammered. Um, and even when we left this event, you know, Thursday night at like 9 o'clock, um, it was funny. He, he was saying goodbye to his other co-worker, and he, and he said, uh, Mark, by the way, do we have enough cream tomorrow? He goes, no, I'll get some. He goes, yeah, I'll, I'll pick up some extra coffee. I'm like expecting a long day. He goes, oh, yeah, I get up at, at, at 310, out the door by 330, and I'm at my desk at 350. Wow. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, and that's, and, and literally their day is done by nine. Their their day is done by nine. After that, it's just basically answering questions. Uh, but yeah, there's, 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 this is, this is the growing season teens uh, of being a commodities forecaster. Well, wait a second. Um, so you, why- you, you said their day's done by nine. That's almost six hours later anyway. Okay. <laughs> right. Bankers yeah. It's, hours. It's, it's, Oh, but they, they really don't leave, leave the office until about 4 or 5. That's, yes. They have 10 or 11-hour days. Yeah, it's, wow. um, I would I would imagine that the type of rainfall that we've had, and I've sent you some maps, which has basically been near normal, uh, and the temperatures that we've had, which have been basically near normal, um, has been good. And, and everything shows that, you know, more heat's going to continue to build out west. Uh, matter of fact, even though Phoenix, Arizona, last time I talked, I think I mentioned that they had four – four days of record heat, um, it looks like the heat rebuilds out west. And this is now almost beginning to look like, I'm trying to remember the exact year it was, but there was a couple of years ago where the heat just stayed out west and stayed out west and Mm -hmm. stayed out west. And we really just stayed kind of near normal here in the Chicagoland area most of the summer. And then all of a sudden it was like the last week or the the last two or three weeks of August, all that heat just got pushed east. East and just we, we broiled. I think I think we had some of the hottest weather. I think the first week of September. I'm trying to think and go, going back in my mind what that exactly was. But but overall, long term, it looks basically like the heat stays west. We get a couple of days of warm weather. But uh, from what I hear, it goes up uh, tomorrow, but then kind of levels off again. What's going on the yeah, rest of the yeah, week? Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get up probably um, probably close to about 85 during the day on. 
uh, Mondays. But, you know, we had 91 on Friday. Um, actually, 90 at, 90 at O'Hare on Friday, 91 at O'Hare on Saturday. So those are the two official first two days of 90 so far this year. The last time we did that was back in September. Uh, probably only loading at 70s today. We did have a peak heat index of 95 yesterday, but that was only for about two hours or so. Um, so lower 70s today, uh, mid-60s along the lakefront, um, and then probably mid-80s tomorrow, but again, only mid-70s along the lakefront. And it looks like Tuesday is going to be a fairly wet day. There's a, there's a bunch of moisture that, you know, kind of slugs itself back at us. So a stormy day on Tuesday. You know, right now, forecast models suggesting maybe a half inch or three quarters of an inch. And that's typically what you get with these type of scenarios. We missed most of the rain. Um, I sent you some stuff in that. We missed most of the rain with this last event. Um, and then we, then we um, get into kind of an off and on, you know, 75, 85 day Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with a little bit of rain here and there. Uh, but the bottom line is the main heat stays generally west of Des Moines, Iowa, and St. Louis, Missouri, probably for the next seven days. So, um, you know, not, not atypical weather for June. We'll take it this time of the year. I always say when it gets hot and humid, that's when everybody begins to pl- complain. So well, uh, no complaining around here the next seven days. <laughs> well, no, that's not true because as you, were, as you were talking about temps at the lake today in the 60s, there will be beep, yeah, beep. That, that, that's, that's, beep. You can complain about that. People I, I will be complaining. They're going to be at the beach and they're going to go, well, are you happy or not about that, Peggy? You're going to be yeah. out there, I take it. Yeah, I was, I was, I was at the beach um, yesterday. I was down at the lakefront at about mm-hmm. ten in the morning, went in the water up to my knees, and it was, it was cold. But you know, the sun was out, and the beaches were packed, and I'm sure they're not wet, not, not that way today. So, except we can, the water we can will complain be warmer about today. the not so nice weather today. What was that? The Peggy? water will be warmer today because it's a northeaster. Um. Yeah, I mean, marginally warmer. Yeah, with a northeast wind of maybe five miles an hour, you can take some of the the warmer surface water and push it westward. Unfortunately, when when the when the wind gets about ten to fifteen, you end up uh, mixing too much of that cooler water above. Um, so so that debate can only take you when the when the wind is actually fairly light. But when you begin to blow fifteen mile an hour winds over water that's still marginally warm at the surface give it about 10 or 15 miles and it basically mixes down so um even with even with the wind like today it's still not going to warm up as much as it could in a a different situation i think a month from now with lighter winds um i think that scientific argument you know holds water (laughs) i guess wait wait let's give him a a ding he gets a ding there okay you get a beer ding on there i wish i had a martini ding there for you Oh, you know what? I, I, I can ding one myself, so don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Rick DeMaio, always a pleasure. Uh, in, I'm, I'm looking forward to enjoying this uh, Sunday, and I appreciate, uh, as always, your weather forecast. And let's talk again next week. Sounds good, Mike. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, and that kind of wraps it up for today. Uh, don't forget, uh, and I see we're getting uh, the, uh, the Instagram Nuisance is uh, up and running, and uh, and George has been tweeting like crazy. Here he's uh, sprained my fingers. He sprained his fingers. <laughs> okay, good. I mean, no, not 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 good. Sorry, I'm sorry. You sprained your finger. You need a mic there, George. Yeah, because we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. And and uh, don't forget to go to. I see that the Starry Chicago people there, not Starry Night, StarryChicago.org. See, I got it right. And Starry Chicago on Facebook. Uh, support the, these 
these students uh, and their trip to uh, Colorado and their message, especially the message. Uh, and uh, that's it. So you got anything, Peggy? Um, no. Don't you have a magazine coming out real soon? Coming out fairly soon, yes. Not that soon. <laughs> Better not be too soon. But you can still pick up plenty of copies of the June issue of Natural Awakening Chicago all over town. All right. Or go to? NAChicagoNorth.com or our Facebook page, Twitter page, and Instagram page. Inst- NA oh. Chicago And Instagram. Okay. I'm going to have to recover from Instagram. <laughs> Everybody. Oh, wait. Uh, before we do this, because uh, i got to... I've, I've been having issues with buttons here today uh, before I, I sign off. Here we go. This is the sign-off. Go green or go, go home. home.